You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Time to acknowledge God's grace in this place and on this campus. And standing there remembering uh, Lake New Life right out there. Times it would get like three or four feet deep. And I uh, remember when my kids were little, Brett Pulver, who's still here just serving so well, came running in. He said, Ron, you got to come outside. I said, what's going on? He said, uh, your boys are jumping into Lake New Life right now. They're doing flips and backflips. And I said, well, that doesn't surprise me. And it's the end of the day or the end of our church service. So I'm just going to take them home and let them dry off. But that's the kind of fun they have. This uh, parking lot out there, when you walk out there, you see the contour of that? Most of you would never believe a pastor could actually do that, but I did. That was my job. As an excavator working with Cambiex, I went over and got it all ready for the next, uh, the next layer of pavement for you so you could park. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So much fun. And there is. There are so many reminders of God's faithfulness when we walk this campus, and we see the different things that God has done and how he's provided. And uh, speaking of provision... We just love to do this, love to take time and honor people. And so this morning, what we want to do is honor Stephen Carter. Stephen and Tanya are here with us. Go ahead, stand up, you guys. Um, yeah, you're clapping before you even know. Yeah. Yeah. So now you want to know what he does and why he's standing? You guys are just so nice. Go, no, stay standing, please. Do Don't do that, Tanya. Stand up. Uh, they've been part of our Canby New Life family, or uh, Foursquare family, since 2013, and, and uh, Stephen has been part of the Northwest Men's Boot Camp. Uh, he's done a great job there, and uh, he is now uh, currently a life business coach. He was called to pastor in 2019, and at that time, we had some conversations about what that would look like, and uh, we got to go on a journey together. And the encouragement was, boy, today and now, in this time age we live in, chaplaincy is so huge. It's so important for people who are uh, unchurched, for people who are disenfranchised from a body. It's so good to have people go out and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Stephen has just been uh, licensed as a chaplain with a specialty in hospice ministry. And so we just want everyone to know that today. Uh, during that time, I, I want to make sure there's acknowledgments here, but during the time that he was thinking about ministry and pastoring, uh, he sought counsel from Chaplain Bill Roberts. Uh, Bill just a credible guy, J Jerry Geiger, Sammy Jameson, and, and myself, and we all got together and we were able to talk. And so we're thankful for that. They also lead our prime timers, uh, along with the Reynolds, Pam uh, and Chuck Reynolds are part of that as well with a great team. So thank you uh, for your investment. We really appreciate that. We want to pray for you. We want to do that. also want to do this, if you don't mind, have all the other chaplains, because I want you to see other chaplains that are in our community. Would you, chaplains, would you stand? I know there's five or six of you. Go ahead and do that in this building. Alejandro, go ahead. Uh, and pastors. If you're a pastor, chaplain, go ahead and uh, stand up. Yeah, there we go. Look at this. They're good. Isn't this great? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, just all of you stay standing because I know we need company in this. I know that I can't do this on my own, but to be able to see you and uh, pray over you. And so, Stephen, thank you uh, for answering that call and being faithful, saying yes to Jesus. So, Father, we thank you today for uh, Stephen and Tanya. We thank you for their commitment 
to the kingdom of God. We thank you for all that you're doing in their life and that you would continue to encourage them. And for the other chaplains that are in this room today, Lord, thank you. Uh, because I know what they do, Lord. They go into the prisons. They go into places where death would be apparent. And even in some cases where death rules the day for people, they come in and they bring the light of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I'm thankful that this place is a place that sends us and sends us out into community to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Let the anointing of your spirit rest upon them today. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Amen. Would you do, do that again? Give them another, give them another applause. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Well, it is. It's good to see you. Annette and I want you to know that we continue to pray for you and your families. It's so important that when we get together, we acknowledge God's grace in our homes, our families, and the way that he works in our life. And with that, would you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1? Uh, we're in a study called Not Ashamed, and we're in Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 18 through 32 today. Some of you uh, are familiar with my father, my dad. My dad served here on staff for about 20 years. Uh, my dad uh, is just an amazing man. And the thing that you'll know about my dad when you meet him is he's a very kind man who loves Jesus, who loves his family. Today he's 92 years of age and he's struggling with dementia. He's living in a memory care facility right now. But his commitment to family, to you, is pretty amazing. Uh, when I think about my dad's life, I have a lot of incredible memories. Uh, he was an incredible athlete, played with the best of them, 5'6", 160 pounds. He was tough. He played D1 football and baseball. But more than his athletic accomplishments, my thoughts always go to how much he loves Jesus, uh, how much he loves people. And that whenever you're in his presence, you always know that you're valued, that you're important. And uh, watching his life and modeling his life is something that, that I've always wanted to do. His unconditional love for his family, I mean, pretty amazing. My dad, a patient man, a kind man. Uh, three boys and a girl. Three boys, even his preschoolers, were a lot of trouble. Uh, got into a lot of mischief. Uh, one day, my mom, uh, during our, quote, nap time, heard some noise on the roof. She ran out and found three toddlers who had got out in the window, shimmied up a tree, got on the roof, and, and you think your kids are trouble. I'll tell you what, we were a handful. And uh, my dad, patient, patient in, in all of this. But there was a side of my dad that you never wanted to see. There was a side of my dad that would come out every now and again, and you could see the look in his eye. The look in his eye was uh, very, very obvious, and his voice would get lower, and he would get calm. It's something that I didn't really care for much, and I'm thankful that I didn't see it much. The time that I did see it is when we disrespected our mother. So that's when we would see it. I remember one time specifically, I was about 15 years old, feeling my oats, and I disrespected my mom, and I did not know my dad was right around the corner. And so when my dad showed up, he got right in my face, and, and he had me up against the wall, and he's looking at me, and he said, you just were rude and disrespectful to my wife, and I don't like it when any young man or any man is disrespectful to my wife. She was my wife first, your mother second, and you need to remember that. You want to talk about a 15-year-old almost wetting his pants? I mean, it, <laughs> it was right at that moment I thought, okay, I don't ever want to see that again. Uh, I don't want to experience that again. That was tempered, and that really got the message across. 
Well, the subject before us today is the wrath of God. Something that we rarely talk about. It's a subject that many don't want to talk about. And there are reasons. <clears throat> they've decided that it's too painful to think about God's wrath. So they've just chosen to believe it doesn't exist. Just to put it out of your vocabulary, put it out of your theology. For some people, the words God and wrath offend their sensibilities. And then there are other people that when they hear the wrath of God or hear it taught, they want to apologize for God. Well, God doesn't need anyone to apologize for him because he is what he is in all the perfect ways that he is. It's kind of like a, a doctor who visits a patient. He knows full well that that patient is going to die in six months of cancer. And all that doctor does when they come into the room is put their arm around that patient, pat him on the back and say, hey, Everything is going to be just fine. I don't really like bringing bad news, so I'm just going to tell you all the good news. Well, that's malpractice. That's malpractice. Romans and Paul's authorship is far from malpractice. Because what Paul does is he tells us the story straight up. He talks to us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know so far that's what we've heard. In chapter 1, it's been all about the good news. Paul tells us that... We don't need to be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. But in verse 18, you're going to experience something here. You're going to experience the tide shifting. The tide shifts and it shifts for the next few chapters. It's the next few chapters that he's going to give us a thorough account of God's wrath and his judgment and what that looks like. So why does he do that? The reason he does it is because in order for us to fully appreciate the good news, we need to understand the detail of the bad news. Because until we admit that we are sinners, then we never ever will seek a savior. And so Paul gives us this account. It's similar to, uh, when I was reading it, similar to the first step in the big book. The first step in the big book says this, we admit that we are powerless over alcohol, we can put sin in parentheses, and that our lives have become unmanageable. And so you're going to hear Paul talk to us about why our lives are unmanageable and God's response to our life, living a life of unrighteousness. And so he's very thorough with what he does here. So with this in mind, what I want you to do is listen to what the Apostle Paul says, beginning at verse 18, going to the end of the chapter. This is what he says. <clears throat> He says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that People are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie 
And they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned their natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committing shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought to be done that not ought to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, and they disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They do not only do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The Apostle Paul, why don't you tell us what you think? I mean, there is a stout list there, and there's a lot of change that we need to unpack here. There's certain things that the Apostle Paul says here that we need to remember. Remember, first of all, that the Apostle Paul's an expert in the law. So he's arguing something from a legal standpoint. He's giving us a thesis. He's giving us a, a court case. And if God ever needed an attorney, you'd probably go to the Apostle Paul, and he would be the one that would argue in defense of God. He doesn't need that, but that's exactly what Paul does here. Paul is the great apologist, the great court attorney, the lawyer that presents a case for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verses 18 through 32, Paul does this for us. Paul answers three questions concerning the wrath of God. Three questions that I think all believers should be aware of and should know. Because when it's time for us to give an account, we need to, also, we need to know also the good news, but we need to know the wrath of God. We need to know what the bad news is here. And the bad news is clearly given here. Question number one is, what is the wrath of God? What is it? Number two, why is the wrath of God necessary? And number three, how is God's wrath revealed? So go back to number one here. What is the wrath of God? In verse 18, it says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. It's being revealed from heaven. When my kids would go to Sunday school classes and we'd head home on a Sunday morning, the conversation would always turn, as it does right now with our grandkids, what did you learn in Sunday school today? And they would always respond, we learned about God today. I said, that's really good, guys. I'm glad you learned about God. But is there anything else you'd like to unpack with us? I mean, anything? And they would typically respond and say, he doesn't like evil. He hates evil. That's the thing that they, they would come away from. Well, in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32, if you want to summarize it, you can summarize it this way. God is against evil. He doesn't like evil. He doesn't like sinfulness. Did you know there are two words that are original words that are in the Greek language for those that are interested in that for the word wrath? One of those words is the word thumos. Thumos is this. Thumos is where we get the word thermometer. It's where we get the word thermo. 
And it means this. It means red-hot anger, passionate anger, rage, impulsive anger. Listen to me. This is not the word being used here. It is not the word that's being used here. Sadly, this is what most people think when it comes to God's wrath. Why? Well, the reason why is because we've had human examples of this kind of wrath. This is the only kind of wrath we may be able to experience, and we have experienced. And unfortunately, that kind of anger, that selfish anger, that vengeful anger, has brought abusive behavior in our lives and our families. It's this kind of wrath. It's the thumos kind of wrath. This is why most of us cringe when we hear the words, the wrath of God. The word Paul uses is this. It's the word orgai. It's the word we get for organic. Does that make sense? So it's literally meaning to grow ripe. This refers to something that builds over a long period of time. This is something where we see God's patience expressed and on show for all of us to see. This means a settled, not explosive rage, not hostile, and not vengeful. This is God's firm, settled, and perfect anger against all evil. Please understand the difference between thumos and orgai. Orgai is what we're talking about here when we talk about God's wrath. In verse 17, it says the righteousness of God is revealed. And then you go to verse 18, and it says the wrath of God is revealed. I want you to see a connection here. The two can be thought of and put together. And the reason why is there is a parallel here. God is perfectly righteous, so then God is perfectly wrathful. It's out of his righteousness that we see wrath. And he is never neutral when it comes to evil. He doesn't look the other way. He doesn't ignore evil. He doesn't just say, well, these guys, they, they were messing up and they were, they were murderers or they were thieves. They were just bad guys. But that's okay. This is not in the emotional makeup of God. This is not the way that he looks at evil today. He does not ignore it. He does not turn his back on it. Like my kids said, he doesn't like evil. God doesn't care for evil. He hates, listen to this, he hates what hurts you. The righteousness of God is seen and expressed over things that hurt you. What hurts you the most? Well, sin hurts you the most. Or we would have not had a Savior come and die on a cross and raise again so that we could have everlasting life if that wasn't what God hated. God hates evil that sin produces. Paul knows his audience. He's writing to the Christians in Rome, and he knows the audience of Rome. And so he knows that there are uh, enough people out there uh, with enough pride, enough ego to, uh, to insist that they're not sinful, to insist that they're okay. Does that sound familiar? The society, the world, the culture we live in, I hear people adamantly say there's no such thing as sin, that I'm not a bad person, uh, that, that I'm okay and I'll be just fine. Well, the Bible tells us here the wrath of God is being revealed. I want you to look at the tense there. The tense is it's being revealed presently. That means it's not just about the past and it's not just about the future that you, uh, you think of when you think about the wrath of God. It's being revealed now. I don't know all the ways to look at it and define it, but I'm trusting the word here. It's using the word present tense. So that's the what. 
when we talk about God's wrath. What is it? It's a settled, perfect anger. He is perfectly righteous. He is perfectly wrathful. Here's the second question. And this is the why that we look at. We've seen the what, now look at the why. Why is the wrath of God necessary? Why would God need to be wrathful? Paul does something here. He gives us three reasons why the wrath of God is necessary. Uh, this is the heart, I think, of the message. I think this is the heart of these, uh, these few verses that we read here. It's, he's talking to us about why it's so needed. Number one, the first reason is this. It's because people suppress the truth of God. That people willfully suppress the truth of God. That's what Paul is saying in verse 18. Listen to this. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all, all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So the bottom line is this. God put his image in us and in his creation, the creation around us. And we can, we can look inward and we can see God. There's evidence of God in our own conscience that we have a creator and our conscience reflects that. That's what we see. We see the very image of God. But you can also know there's a testimony that's outward. Not only inward in our conscience, but we can look outward and we can see God. The creation is a testimony of God. Creation is evidence of God. But even with the inward and outward evidence of God, people choose to suppress it. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying you can look it in your own heart and know there's a God. You can look at creation. You can know there's a God. They know the truth, they see the truth, they experience the truth. With all that, they hold it down and they suppress it in order to live an unrighteous life. Even when the witness of God is, is clearly seen and, and presented, people respond like this. They say, well, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Well, I want to rephrase that response, if you just indulge me for a minute. I want to make it a little more accurate. From I can't believe it to I won't believe it. Those are very two different answers. Very different. Because the first is a matter of ability. The second is a matter of will. I won't is a willful decision to look away from God's truth in order to justify a sinful life. That's what Paul's saying here. You're looking away so you can live like you want to live. So why is the wrath of God necessary? Reason one is for suppressing God's truth. The second reason is for ignoring God's revelation. In verses 20 and 21, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen. Don't miss that. Plainly seen, clearly seen, obviously seen, being understood from what has been made, the creation, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here's what Paul is saying to us. God, who is invisible and unknowable unless He chooses to reveal Himself, has made Himself visible and knowable. God has made Himself visible and knowable to you. How did He do that? Through His creation. It's a display of the fact and shows us the fact that he wants to know us and we want to know him. The design of creation is proof of a creator. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, that's just common sense that architecture has an architect. That a design has a designer. 
All that makes sense except when you get to one place of thinking and it's the most bizarre reasoning I've ever experienced. It's interesting. In all other aspects, design is understood that there is a designer. It's understood and easily accepted, plainly seen, but not so when it comes to God and his design of creation. We've made up a whole lot of stories. What's Paul saying? That has been ignored. You've tried to run little other stories around. You've tried to talk about other ways of, of creation. You've tried to invent other ways that creation came about. Paul's saying that is absurd. Creation is the visible disclosure of an invisible God. That's what you see. What's the first question you ask when you see a, just a beautiful piece of artwork? I mean, it's the first question I ask. Who did that? Notice it's not what did that, or, but it's who did that. Who did that? Who's the artist? The art speaks of the artist. The design speaks of a designer. The architecture speaks of an architect. Paul says you see the design of creation, and yet you ignore the designer, the very one who designed it. In verse 19, Paul says it's pretty obvious. Folks, this is pretty clear, and because it's clear, and because it's obvious, he says in verse 20, you are without excuse. You have no excuse. My family has a few artists in the bunch. I'm not one of them. I'm not. Uh, my grandson, Jackson, has a following, quite a big following on YouTube. He creates and designs stop-motion animation, if you're familiar with that. He does it with Legos. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, he does a great job with that. My son Ryan is also an artist. I want to show you something that he did when he was 12 years old. He did this uh, when he was 12 years old. It's a rendition of uh, Van Gogh the Farmer. At 12 years old, he puts this together. Uh, Nat and I were called to the art teacher's room, thought he was in trouble. I looked at it, and uh, I asked uh, uh, the, the teacher, I said, who, who did this? He goes, your son. And I said, is that paint by numbers? That's how much confidence I had in my son's ability at the time. <laughs> I said, is it paint by numbers? He goes, no, man, he, he, this came out of his head. This came out of his heart. Well, you could imagine the discussion that went on, and that has been in several art shows, and some people have this in their family rooms in different places, but that uh, has been in art shows, and I've gone to those to, 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 to see what people say and how they respond. So I don't tell him I'm his father. I'm not going to do that, but I go in the crowds, and I listen to the comments about that picture. I hear them all say, wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. That's just a beautiful piece of artwork. Who did it? Um, I don't say anything then. I, I try not to. I'm a proud dad, but I don't say anything. What I did not hear in the comments was, wow, that's amazing because it took millions of years and random processes that this thing happened. It took a long time, a lot of explosions, but that's how this painting came about. If you heard that, you'd be saying, that's crazy talk. Get security in here. We got to get this person out of here. It's nuts. Because you know the logic and all that? The logic is this. No one plus nothing equals everything? That makes no sense. See, there's no logic. And Paul says there is no logic in the way that our unrighteousness wants to lead us. It's random. So why is the wrath of God necessary? For suppressing God's truth, ignoring God's revelation. And then the last thing that's answered for us in this passage is perverting God's glory. Paul says the wrath of God is necessary because you pervert the glory of God. And it says this. It says, and exchanged 
the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in a, in to, to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen and amen. Now notice what Paul does here. Paul does something that's interesting. He adds a sexual component to this. All of a sudden, we're talking about sexual immorality. And that speaks to the degradation of the image of God. He's going back there. And he's saying, this is what happens when you live a random life, uh, an unrighteous life, a selfish life. Evil desires take over. Evil desires are simply this. It means that you can do whatever feels good to you. That you can do whatever seems good in your own eyes. And if it makes you feel good, then you worship and you serve that impulse. That's what he's saying here. Paul is showing us that the downward spiral of human morality, he's, he's, he's showing us that this is actually devolution. This is devolving, not evolving. It's, this isn't about evolution. This is about devolving. The Bible never teaches us. It never teaches us that we started low to climb higher. The Bible clearly shows us that man began high, he sank lower and lower with every passing generation. Sin has worn them out. Sin is ruling the day. Evil desires are taking over. And this all comes back to the view of God as creator and humanity being in his image or being his image bearers. So hear this. Wrong views of God will result in certain consequences. The wrong views of God will give you wrong views of humanity. It will give you wrong views of your identity. It will give you wrong views of creation. It will give you wrong views of sexuality. It will give you wrong views and on and on and on. And the reason it does is because the thing that brings God glory is the thing that Satan always is looking to pervert, he's looking to distort, and he's looking to destroy. Just remember that. The sad news is that Satan has spoken into many ears and they believe that about themselves and they believe that about the world they live in. And then we ask ourselves the question, why does it seem so futile? Why does it seem so desperate? And we turn to a lot of other places, but not to the right place. The right place has to do with the relationship with our Father in heaven. That's the right place. And now... The last question, and this speaks of the how. So we've done the what, the why, and now the how. How is God's wrath revealed? Because God's wrath is revealed, and it's done in three different ways. You see that in this passage. The first is this, the last day reckoning. It's a final judgment at the last day. Remember I told you that you're going to be spending some time in the next two or three chapters talking about the wrath and the judgment of God? In chapter 2, it says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. He says that in the next chapter in verse 5. So he's letting us know. So don't think, please don't ever think, that the Hitlers of this world, the Paul Potts of this world, the Idi Amin's of this world, and the current tyrant leaders 
are ever going to get away with this. God does not turn his back on evil. There will be a day, if they're not judged in this life, they will be judged when God comes again, when Jesus comes back. There is a judgment day. And it's real. And it's coming. And the Bible says it is. There will be judgment, and it won't be like an earthly courtroom. <laughs> Understand this. When that day happens, you don't get a chance to appeal. <laughs> All the appealing's done. He says, you are without excuse because you've had evidence. You stand before a judge not knowing Christ, you, you have no excuse. That's what he says here. He says, it won't be like the courtrooms. There will be no debate, no jury, no prosecutor, no defense. But there will be a sentence with no appeal, and it will come from the perfect, righteous God. That's what he says. Second, a judicial system of law is another thing that we see uh, as how God will reveal wrath. Um, if I'm going down the road in a 20-mile-an-hour zone and I'm going 50 miles an hour, I get pulled over by a police officer, I get a ticket. Yeah, some of you are going, yeah, I did that <laughs> the other day. You know, I mean, what did you feel? You felt the judgment. It's a judgment of a judi judicial system. It, it, it's, this is about the public administration of justice. I'm so thankful that we do live in a society, even though when we see it disintegrating, oftentimes before our very eyes, we still need to know that there is judgment and it comes through a legal system. Law and the order that it brings is fundamental to our society. It is the tool that God uses to bring justice. That's how God does it. In Romans 13, uh, Paul says this, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason <laughs> uh, or the ticket. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. We also know this. There's two sides to this. We also know the legal system is flawed. The reason it can be flawed is because humans are involved. We are involved. And so this will happen as well. God will judge how one in authority uses their authority. And it, all, it says in Timothy that they will pay a double price for using their authority in a way that it should have never been used, using their authority to profit them. Now, the third way God's wrath is revealed is, is as this. Listen, as a consequence of your own desires. It says that in verses 24, 26, and 28. He says this is about your own desires, that God is taking his hands off now. God turned you over to the consequence of your own desires. Those, consequence, those consequences are the judgment. Notice there are three times. This is, this is remarkable here to me, uh, a bit frightening, I have to say. Three times in this passage it says God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. This is not God's intervention. This is God's non-intervention. This is frightening. If you just stop and think for a moment, the withdrawal of God, you don't know what that's like. Even in an evil world that we live right now, there's the existence of God's spirit here in this place and in the earth. There's a witness of the spirit of God. But it says here that God will just step back. It's chilling to me, bone chilling. This is God stepping away. 
This is God saying to the individual, you want it that way? Okay, I'm stepping back and you can have it that way. But you will suffer the consequences of having it that way. You know, I've heard a lot of different ideas and thoughts and opinions about what hell may be for those that go there. I've heard that. The Bible gives us some indication of that. But do you know what I think the worst part of hell will be for those that go there? The total absence of God's presence. That's got to be a place of hell. The abject lack of his presence. Not even a morsel. Not even a sliver. Not even a light. Not even a bit of God will be there. And that's the reason the earth is alive today. It's because of the presence of God. It's because of his long suffering, because of his love, because of his care. I want to close with a thought just for a moment, if you let me do this. Remember earlier I said God hates what hurts you? I don't know if you've ever experienced as a parent something like this, but several years ago my family and I were off at a, a park. It wasn't in this town, it was in another community. And we were there and our kids were playing on the play structure that was close by and my friend and I were sitting in our little lawn chairs and we were just having a good time, having a conversation. And I look up and I see my five-year-old daughter running to me with fear in her eyes. You want to know what gets a father's attention? That does. Looked like she had no blood in her face. And I, uh, I jumped up and I ran. I ran to her. And my son was right behind her and he runs faster, so he passed her. And he got to me first, and he said, Dad, there's some young boys, up, young men up there that are saying sexual things to Rebecca. You want to know the wrath of God, the closest I've ever been to it? And I, I said, take your sister, go, go over to the seats. I have some business. And I ran up, and there were two boys there, and I made it very uncomfortable for them. But I did what my dad did. I got calm, and I got firm, and I got settled. And I said, I want you boys to know that you hurt my daughter, and I hate it. And I don't want you to ever say that again or ever touch her again. And there were some girls there, and I said, girls, you deserve better than these boys. Get out of here and go find boys that respect you. These are not those boys. And they got up and left. And I was close to these boys, I just want to tell you, close enough they could smell my breath. And I said, when I walk away from here, you'll leave this park and you'll never come back again. Do you hear me? And they said, yes, sir. I said, do you hear me? And they said, yes, sir. I went, I sat down, I looked up, and they left. About the next 30 minutes, I had two or three or four mothers come to me and say, thank you, thank you. They've harassed us. They've taken control of the park, and I said, I don't think they'll be around anymore. But this is my thought. If that is even close to what God feels, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about God's love coming after you and going after the evil that hurts you with that kind of imagery in mind. He is a Father in heaven that cares for you. That's why you have to talk about this. You have to talk about a God who loves you and he cares for you, and he is going to do everything he can to keep evil from you. 
That's the God that we love and serve. That's God's heart toward you. It's his anger, his wrath, his perfect wrath against all evil, against all the things that hurt his children. So today, if you're wondering about the wrath of God and saying, wow, that wasn't really a cheery message. It's a true message. It's an honest message. And it's a message you need to have. Because then you begin to understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who came, died on a cross, and when he was there, God turned his back on him. He was forsaken. Why? It was the evil that was coming after you that he needed to thwart, extinguish, get rid of. And he did it. The price was so great that God says you are without excuse if you don't see it. If you don't see my love for you. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, we are so grateful that today we come into this place and you give us these sober reminders of how deep, how eternal, how expansive your love is for us. And it's seen in how you carry out justice. And how you do that, Lord Jesus, in a perfect way. That your righteousness rules the day. And whenever you speak, justice is in order. Whenever you speak, Lord Jesus, things, people, lives line up. And so, Lord Jesus, let us understand and embrace you, even in a deeper way today. And that as we leave this place, we would have this in our minds. We would have this in our hearts. That you hate what hurts your children. And so, Lord, we give you freeway. We give you access to our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Teach us, God. Teach us your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.